welcome to North Church. We're excited you're here with us today. In just a minute, the band will lead us in a few songs, followed by one of our incredible North Church Bible teachers, who will share a message to encourage us to go deeper into our walk with the Lord. All in all, you can expect our services to last about one hour in length. If you have questions or are wondering what's going on here at the church, visit us online at northchurch.net. You can scroll to the bottom of the page, click on e-bulletin, and there you'll find out everything that's going on here at the church. If after service you still have questions, go ahead and visit our information center out in the lobby. There you'll find a happy volunteer who would love to answer any of your questions and help you find your next step here at North Church. And don't forget to visit the coffee bar in the lobby. There you'll find hot drinks, cold drinks, a variety of pastries, and it's all supported by your donation. On March 15th, North Church is hosting the Greater Than Conference. It's a chance for junior high, high school, and parents to come together for a fun night and hear from some incredible guest speakers about the importance of living a pure lifestyle and how Jesus is greater than sexual addiction. Mothers of preschoolers, every third Tuesday of the month, there's an awesome opportunity for you. It's called Mops. It's an opportunity for you to come together with other moms and encourage each other and support one another in this stage of life. Those are all the announcements I have for you today. If after service you're in need of prayer, go ahead and step forward and a member of our prayer team would love to agree with you in prayer. And don't forget to check into North Church on Facebook. Every three check-ins provides an item for a welcome basket for refugee families coming into Spokane. We're going to go ahead and sing now, so would you please stand?
Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to North Church. How y'all doing? It's great to be here this morning. Why don't you take just a few moments and greet the person next to you. Try to find someone you haven't met before. Well, good morning, North Church. You are a chatty bunch this morning. That is excellent. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, especially if you're new with us this week, maybe this is your first week, or maybe you've been coming just a few weeks a little bit, and you're wondering kind of how to get more connected and kind of get on the radar, I would love to take an opportunity to meet with you for just a few minutes right after the service. We do a thing we call First Connect. We meet right underneath the monitor on the far wall, say hello, get connected, talk a little bit about the best uh, kind of next steps for you here at the church. So if that's something that would be of interest, I would love to see you right after the service. Uh, as far as today goes, we're continuing in our series uh, on fight, talking about uh, kind of contending for our faith and doing whatever it takes to do that. And uh, we're going to be talking about discipleship and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. But at the heart of that is something that we talk about all the time, right? And it's about having this sense of yes in our heart, of saying yes to God and yes to what he's saying and becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And so what the challenge I want to put to you right here at the beginning of the service is this. Kind of not, not exactly sure um, what it's taken to get you here today, but congratulations, you made it. Some of us woke up and saw snow coming down. I may or may not have uttered something that I've had to repent of. I, I, I get it. Um, but whatever it's taken to get here, I want to challenge you right now at the beginning of our time together to, uh, to just have a yes ready in your heart for what God might be saying. And the things he might speak to you while we're worshiping or maybe during the preaching or whatever point along the way, there's something God wants to do. And if we begin with a yes in our heart, then we partner with him in that and great things happen. So with a lot of expectation around that, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up and we're going to pray as we get ready to worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the uh, incredible experience we get together to spend time declaring our love for you and receiving your love for us. And God, we ask that you would be pleased in uh, the songs we bring in worship now, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. 
Make me strong in your power, I pray. 
God, to all these things, we simply say we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're uh, going to receive our tithes and offerings here in just a moment. Uh, and that's that kind of time in our service where uh, uh, we have this sense of the, what God has done for us and in us and what he's doing. And, and he's made such provision for us in all areas of our life. This is a point where we say we want to... Uh, as an indication of a whole life given and devoted to following Jesus, give a portion of that back uh, to the doing of God's work at his church here and stuff like that. So um, if you've come, you may have come prepared with a gift to give to God, and that's great. You may need a moment to get that prepared. That's fine. Maybe you're uh, going to use the text to give options that we have, or you're online and viewing this online and uh, want to contribute to the ministry from there. You can do that online or text to give as well. But as we're doing that, um, I want to make sure that, we, that when we give, uh, we also come to God with a spirit of God. This is what we have to offer. And like with everything else, it's what we have to offer, but then what you do miraculously with that that has the most dynamic impact. So before we receive the offering, I want to invite you to pray with me that God does something amazing with what we all bring with our gifts here today. Heavenly Father, thank you for making provision for us, your people. And thank you as individuals and as families. And God, thank you for the provision you demonstrate regularly here at this church. Thank you, God, for the resource that you've given us to accomplish uh, your task in the world. God, as we get ready to give this morning, Lord, we ask that you would take what it is that we have to offer. And that God, by a work of your Holy Spirit and by your power, you would tr transform these financial contributions um, into lives that are miraculously changed and transformed, that it becomes people who are coming to faith. God, that through the faithful giving and contributions of, of these people, God, that the city of Spokane would be reached with, with a, to a greater level than ever before, with the hungry being fed and, and those in need being cared for. God, we want to be used by you, and we ask that you would oversee and superintend and empower the distribution of these funds into the kinds of things that please your heart and make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you can go ahead uh, and come forward and receive. And we're going to continue then uh, in our series, which we're calling Fight. We've talked all along the way about that the Christian faith and our faith is something that's worth fighting for. It's something that uh, that sometimes we have to contend for and work hard for, and, uh, and that's what we're doing. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about the idea of discipleship, about being followers of Jesus. So that's part of uh, what our faith entails, is being followers of Jesus. That, um, in fact, one of the last things Jesus said to the people who were following him, his disciples, was that as you go forward, make disciples of all nations. That is, you've been following me as my disciple. Now I want you to get some disciples of your own, teach them to follow me, and teach them how to teach other people how to follow me, and things just progress forward along that way. And uh, this is true about Christians who grow up, become a little bit more mature in their faith, and then lead other people to faith in Christ. It's certainly, uh, it certainly works that way. It also works, as we talk about, just kind of genera generationally. As a as a multi-generational church, as a church where old people, middle-aged people, young people, and kids all come together to worship, there's this opportunity that we have to say, at any, at any stage along the way, God calls on me to be someone who transfers the heart of who God is and, and how he works among us into a next generation of believers. That's what's taking place downstairs right now in the kids' ministry. 
And as we're in the book of 2 Timothy, we get the chance this morning to look at Paul and Timothy's relationship, and it becomes kind of a, uh, almost like a case study in how discipleship works, on how faith can be transferred from one generation to the next. You see, Timothy was this young man, and we know this from what we read in Paul's writings, that as a young man, he followed God, and he grew up in the faith. There was, there was a time when he was young, but growing in the faith, uh, and becoming a, a believer in God initially and then a believer in Christ uh, along the way. But there was that beginning time of growing up. And then there came this moment when he ran across Paul and he saw in Paul something that he respected, something that he admired, something that he said, I, I want to follow that guy and learn what it is that he's got and how it is he does what he's doing because I think, I think he's got something going on there. And Paul looked and he saw something in Timmy that said, here's a young man with some gifting and with some calling and I think God might be asking me to take him under my wing and bring him along with me and grow him up in his ministry and in his faith so that he's ready when the time comes. He, Timothy was a young man. Then there was a time when he was being mentored by Paul directly, traveling with him and doing journeys with him. And then there came the time for the mentoring to come to an end and for Paul to release Timothy into his major impact of ministry where he became the head of the church in the large city of Ephesus that progression of, of Timothy from a young man growing in his faith to a man being mentored in leadership to a man actively leading other people and leading in the kingdom of God. There's a great picture there, right? Isn't that? Because that, that's, the, that's the same journey that all of us are on. There's a time when we come to faith, when we're a new convert in Christ, when we, we step across that line of faith and say yes to God and I receive the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, I believe that my sins were forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross and I wanna give myself to following him for the rest of my life. There's that moment when we become a Christian and, and that moment doesn't just stand alone, that's the beginning of a journey that then moves forward and along the way there are people that will speak into our lives, that will disciple us, that will help us learn how to follow Jesus. Some of that happens from up here on the platform on a Sunday morning, but most of it happens out there in the life of the church that's not taking place on a Sunday morning. People in life groups, people in Bible studies, people teaching classes, just doing life with one another and growing people up in the faith. There's a season where we become a convert and there's a season when we grow and there are different people who mentor us and lead us and disciple, uh, disciple us and grow us into the person God's calling us to be. And then just all too often, we just kind of stop there and feel like God's call on my life is to become a better, better, better follower of Jesus and just keep following better, learning more, doing more, becoming more. But there comes a time in the, in the growth process of any believer when having been a convert and having grown in discipleship, there comes a time to say, it's time to be released and to stop just being led well but to lead others, to step into that calling that God has for you, to make your kingdom impact, to become not just a follower of Jesus, but someone who makes other followers of Jesus, to become not just someone who follows Christ to the best of their ability, but someone who makes sure that other people who are following them are helping others to follow Christ. When we talk about leadership here at the church, we always talk about leadership just really being a function of, if you're intentionally investing in the spiritual growth of even one other person, that makes you a leader. And, and what we recognize as part of that leadership and helping another person to grow is helping them to grow into that responsibility that part of their responsibility as a believer is then to step back and say, how can I help somebody else on their journey? How can I help them to grow forward? So 
whether you're a seasoned leader and have lots of people following you in the faith, or whether you're a brand new convert in desperate need of that person to lead you, on either case, we've gotta figure out this discipleship thing. We gotta figure it out. And there are eight verses that we're gonna look at here in 2 Timothy chapter three. And these are eight verses where Paul is talking to his protege, Timothy, the young man, and he's talking to him about discipleship. And the thing that we see in these eight verses is that there's a picture of what discipleship, of what following Jesus entails. And we're gonna see these three things. That discipleship, it entails following. And that sometimes discipleship entails fighting. And that the only way to successful real uh, discipleship will will involve a firm foundation that will stand up to anything. And so let's take a look, 2 Timothy 3, and we're gonna start at verse 10. This is Paul writing, and he says this. He says, now Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance. This is Paul looking back over his relationship with Timothy, and he said, you followed me in these kind of different categories of things. And it's really important that we get the right sense of that word followed, because as we speak it in English, the word followed has kind of lots of different connotations, right? We follow somebody on Instagram. And, and that can be a very casual thing, right? Like every now and again, I, I kind of check in and see how it's, how it's going on. Some of you um, follow football and the Seahawks. And the way some of you follow football and the Seahawks, it's like, oh yeah, that's the team with the funny colors and the loud noise, I know them. <laughs> and, and you consider that following, and that's one. But the word that Paul uses here is a much more intense word for follow. It's not just kind of casually interested, it's I need every detail about everything. Where are my real Seahawks fans at right now? The real ones. There, yes, a couple yelling, yep. You know who you are. You're not waiting for next season to start. You're on the chat boards, you're seeing who they're going for in the draft. You know who they need to take in the fourth round with their last, right? You've got it all dialed in. You need every detail. You know who got injured, you know who's getting cut and waved. You can't miss a moment of it. That's the kind of following that Paul's talking about here. I had a conversation with a young lady, it won't um, embarrass her by giving you her name, but she was telling me this week about the way she and some of her girlfriends follow the TV show The Bachelor. (laughs) Oh yeah, this is a big deal. This is a weekly social engagement, and if the wrong girl gets voted off, oh my goodness, there is an uproar. Things start happening in that house and in that living room, because they are all in and want all the juicy gossip about everything. They're into it. That's when Paul says, Timothy, you followed me. It wasn't, it wasn't the follow of just kind of casual interest. It was the follow of I'm all in and I want to know every detail of what's going on. And when we talk about following Jesus and following others in following Jesus, we're talking about that level of commitment, that level of focus, that level of intensity that way. And so um, if you're a leader, if you consider yourself a leader, if you're actively, make, uh, intentionally making an influence Uh, on somebody's spiritual growth and helping them to grow, then you're a leader, then listen closely to these things where Timothy followed, because these are the places that you should be leading. Maybe if you're newer in your faith and you're in the beginning end of that journey and you're looking to follow someone, pay careful attention to the categories and the places where Timothy was following Paul, because that's where you should be following others as they follow Jesus. He says, "You you followed, first of all, my teaching. That is, you paid really close attention to the things that I taught. When I talked about the doctrine of the faith and about who Jesus is and why that's important and and what is the nature of God and all these things, he said, when I taught, you paid attention, you listened, you 
followed my teaching. And those who will lead need to lead in sound teaching. And that means the things that we think about God. The thinking piece is kind of cognitive. It's up in the head where that takes place. It's, it's the content of the faith, the doctrinal truth. And by itself, it's clearly not enough, but it is essential. And one of the reasons it's essential, I'll tell you why, is because it's right teaching that makes sense of the day-to-day boots-on-the-ground operation of the Christian life. I've always known this about myself. I'm not proud of it, but I've known it. I would make a horrible soldier. Because if someone said, Soldier Kilpatrick, take that hill. Are you sure that's a good idea? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I understand the particular significance of this hill at this time right now with me charging it. Right? That's me. I've been given a command, a direction, and a place to go, but I don't have a bigger picture into which that fits. Now, I get it. Boot camp would take that out of me. Right? I get that that's how that works, and God bless those who have worked all the way through that to that point. Okay? Here's the thing. The system works for those people who are real soldiers and will go take that hill in, uh, in the keeping of their duty and the fulfillment of their mission and their obligation. Those who will do that believe wholeheartedly in a system in which there is a broader big picture in which this hill right now at the cost of my safety makes sense. And they engage in that sacrificially and with great courage and honor. Here's the thing. Sound biblical teaching is that big overarching framework that makes sense of the boots on the ground commands that God gives us in living out the Christian life. We're told to, be, to patiently endure the trials and the sufferings of this life. I gotta be honest, I feel about that a lot the way I feel about take that hill. I don't think I like it. I don't think I like it at all. But when that command to, to patiently endure is set within the context of solid biblical teaching, teaching about the heart of God and God's plans and purposes, Solid teaching which acknowledges that God's plan in redeeming the whole of the universe that he created involves his very own suffering. Biblical teaching that helps me understand that my suffering, when I direct it that way, unites with the suffering of Christ in accomplishing God's purposes in a redemptive way. All of a sudden, that's, that's a bigger picture that I can put my heart towards. I don't like being told I'm supposed to forgive those who have done me harm and to, and to love actively those who are persecuting me. I don't like that. But it's a, it's a sense of the broader, true, biblical teaching that one day Christ will come and this world will, um, will exist and our life together will exist in the way that God intended it once Christ is here with us. But what he calls his people to do in the meantime is to live now as a, as a prophetic word about what the life of a, of a Christ-filled future will be like. To begin the promise, the, the progress of redeeming the world so that it's ready when Christ comes, right? There's a framework in which the hard work of living the Christian life makes sense. But that's the duty of teaching. We need to learn, we need to search the scriptures for who God is and how he works and what is true about him so that we can most clearly understand what it is he's calling us to do. Walking out the the boots on the ground action of the Christian life is not just following a bunch of commands. It's fitting in to an overall biblical worldview that makes sense, but only if we've done the hard work of learning the teaching, and that's why that makes sense. He says, you followed my teaching. And then he says, and you followed my conduct. And that's fascinating to me, right? Because it's one thing to have the, the truth in your head, but you gotta walk that out. You gotta live that out, right? There's... There's the head and there's the hands. There's what we do. 
And in Paul's mind, it wasn't enough just to teach the right things and believe the right things. That had to translate into action that was consistent, that, had, that was uh, integrated well with what was believed. He, and he said to Timothy, you followed me. You know that that's true, that what I taught and what I did uh, fit together well, that there was a consistency to them and an integrity. And if you're one who's called to be a leader, please understand, being a leader is not just having some things to teach, but not the life to back it up. The, the life of a leader, as we understand it here from Paul, is a life that's a, a connected relationship between the things we teach and believe and the way that we live our life as well. If the teaching is the head and if the uh, conduct is our hands, uh, then the matter of faith is our heart. He said, you followed me in my faith. And, that, and that's where it takes place in a heart. That's that heartfelt, passionate devotion for God. And please understand, that's a critical piece of the discipleship puzzle, right? Because if all you've got is a bunch of things that you've taught are true and a bunch of actions that you're supposed to take, you, your faith won't last, you, won't last you that long. You'll burn out on the learning, you'll get ground down on the doing, and there'll be no life within it. But when we can bring together the believing and the doing and the heartfelt, loving devotion to God, things become to come alive. I'm real grateful for my father for this um, picture that he gave me during my growing up years, right? And um, I just knew one of, the, one of the foundation points of my life was knowing that any morning when I woke up, I could walk down the stairs and through the hall and into the kitchen, and what I would find would be my father seated with his Bible open, reading with a cup of coffee next to him. And this man demonstrated for me on the most consistent basis uh, a sense of his passion for God that wasn't just his passion for knowing or his passion for doing, he had those as well, but these were his moments of passionate devotion, of just being with God as he read the scripture. And it happened every day of my childhood that I can remember. What a gift. Just the knowing and just the doing did not connect with my heart and inspire me in, in the same way that that did. In fact, to this day, um, his desire to sit and ingest God's word and his desire to sit and ingest a huge cup of coffee are things that I've adopted myself. <laughs> and I think they're very deeply connected at a spiritual level. <laughs> he says, you follow my teaching and my conduct and my faith, head, heart, hands. And then he says, you also, adopt, you also followed my purpose because once once we have those components of discipleship, the believing and the doing and the loving, once we have them together, what's the purpose that we're putting those towards? What are we trying to accomplish in that? And Paul settles that for us in the book of Ephesians, and he writes this. He says, and said, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, growing in every way more and more like Christ. That's what we're doing as we learn and think and study. That's what we're doing as we live a life of obedience. That's what we're doing as we give our heart in devotion to God in so many levels, is we're growing into becoming more and more and more like Christ. That's the journey of discipleship. It's a journey of following in all of those areas. And so part of what God calls us to do is to be disciples and to make disciples who are following in that mode. But then it's not always easy. And along with the following comes some fighting, some contending, some obstacles that have to be overcome. Paul goes on in writing to Timothy in our, in our main passage here. He says this, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch 
and at Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. He tells Timothy, look, in addition to following me in all of these other ways, you followed me through the persecutions and the sufferings, and I absolutely love the fact that he names some specific cities. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. Because when we go to the book of Acts in chapters 13 and 14, we find out what happened in those places. And there's an interesting progression that takes place. Paul was out on his missionary journeys early in his career, and one of his stops was at Antioch. And at Antioch, he had some initial success. Some people were believing. He was, they were coming to faith in Christ, and that was great news. But Paul would come in and preach the gospel, and then people who didn't like Paul came in behind him and tried to stir up trouble and undermine what he was doing. And Acts 13 tells us that at Antioch, they heaped abuse on him. That's, that's the actual phrase. They heaped abuse on them. They stirred up persecution, and then they kicked him out of the city. They treated him poorly. They heaped abuse at him. They, they, they called him names, and then they kicked him out of the city. And so he left Antioch, and the next city he came to was Iconium. And, and that's in chapter 14 of Acts. At Iconium, it says that those people who were falling behind and undermining him, it says that they poisoned the people's mind against them, and they plotted to kill him. That's an upgrade, right? They were mean to me. They're going to kill me, right? The, the persecution's getting worse. And so he leaves there and goes to Lystra, and there... They don't just plan to kill him, they try to kill him. And they pick up stones and they stone him until they think that he's dead and they leave him for dead outside the gates of the city and away they go. And Paul's followers come and they pick him up and they take him off and they kind of make him well and he continues on his way. What a, what a great progression, right? Hey, you want a great image of the Christ, Christian life? First they won't like you and they'll be mean. And then if you're really effective, they'll start plotting against you. And then if you really rock it, they're gonna try to kill you. That was Paul's experience. That was the fight that he had to fight. That was the battle, the battle that he had. So let me ask you for a second about what might resistance look like for you. Hopefully, it won't be people throwing rocks and trying to kill you. But as you grow in your following of Jesus Christ, as you grow as a disciple, I'd be surprised if there weren't some resistances along the way. It might be family members who just think you have lost your ever-loving mind and are off on some kind of religious binge, right? Some of us have that in our, in our family situation, and, and that's real. Um, some of you, because of the decisions that you're gonna make to follow Christ as best you can, are gonna put yourself in a dif difficult place, and you're gonna find some resistance. Your boss is gonna insist that you make that sale no matter what, but your conscience maybe won't allow you to do or to say the things that need to be done or said to make that sale, and there's a conflict. And there's gonna be resistance to you doing what you know God has called you to do and to being the person he's called you to be. Some of you are student, students and everybody else got a hold of that final exam cheat sheet earlier and, uh, and everyone else is taking advantage of it and you've got a dilemma about whether you're gonna follow Jesus in integrity and do what's right and honest and good or whether you're gonna cheat with the rest of the crowd and your grades may suffer by comparison. That's resistance, that's real. Fill in the blanks for what your particular resistance might look like, but I want you to have that in mind because Paul walked through this progression of people not liking him, people plotting against him, and then people actually taking action and killing him. And it's interesting to me that he had this spot that um, the Christian life wasn't just to encounter this kind of resistance, but he had to fight through the, this resistance, and this is how Paul fought through. After, after being left for dead at the city, his guys fixed him up, he had one more little city that he visited, had some success, and then this happens. It says, then 
they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Meet with God, get settled down, and immediately turn around and came back. First to the place they tried to kill him, next to the place they had plans to kill him, and next to the place that they were mean. Fighting the resistance meant, meant going right back into the middle of it and bringing the grace of God and the love of Jesus to it. In fact, it says that, that he went there strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Isn't that wild? We're not called just to endure and survive whatever resistance is there to our growing in, in Christ, but part of overcoming that is to turn back and bring the reality of God's love and his truth and his grace into those very situations to come back to those who are giving us the worst time and causing the most difficulty and giving us the most challenge and resistance or whatever that may be, and instead of running away and saying, ha ha, you didn't conquer me, coming back and saying, wait, I want you to encounter God's grace and love. I want you to understand there's something about the way God wants to redeem situations. I'm willing to come back right into the middle of it again, simply so that you can know that God loves you and there's a way forward. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of courage. And I want to encourage those of you who are able to identify resistances at whichever point that maybe part of what God will call you to do at some point on your discipleship journey is instead of just keep that in the rear view and thank God that you survived, would be to turn around and to stop back in and say, what does God want to say to these people in this situation? How might God want to use me to bring some redeeming grace into this situation? How can I speak the truth of God's love and care into the same situation where people brought me hurt? That's that's intimidating stuff. It's hard stuff. It's a fight, and it's brutal. So the life of discipleship is that. It's, it's the business of following, but it's also the business of fighting, which means coming right back into the middle of the resistance with God's grace and love in tow. And then thirdly, it's this. It's all about the foundation, because we follow and we fight for that thing that we believe most sincerely. We have to form a foundation that won't fail, and the forming of that foundation is in the Word of God. This is what Paul's writing to Timothy again. He says, you, Timothy, however, continue in the things that you have learned and that you have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Right? So Timothy had this blessing of having been just steeped in the teachings and the learnings of the Old Testament. That's what the sacred writings were that Paul's referring to that way. His mom and his grandma, he, he'd grown up in this, in this atmosphere where, where the Bible was revered, where the teachings of the law were taught, right? Where, where what God had said was at the centerpiece of their moral and uh, developmental foundation. And, and that was critical for him. And Paul says, you got the chance to encounter that. You had that benefit. And look, I know we've talked quite a bit this morning already about um, being led, like being a follower and having somebody to mentor us, and we've talked a lot about being a leader and finding people that we should be leading in the faith. I get that. Can I just say that to those of you who are parents, the primary mentoring and leading role where the faith is concerned you will ever have is with your children. The, your child's spiritual foundation is your highest calling. It's not the, respon the responsibility or the duty of a, of a children's pastor or a volunteer in the classroom or, some, or, a, or a youth pastor or somebody out there. 
the spiritual foundation for your child, the duty, the obligation, the responsibility of that is yours. To bring, so, that, so that they can say later in life what was said of Timothy. You grew up in this environment where the sacred writings, the teachings of the Bible were poured into you and became a reality and became a foundation. That's not someone else's responsibility. That's your responsibility. I know what most parents say when faced with a task and a mandate that that's significant. Um, almost all of us say, I don't know enough. I, I'm, I'm not smart enough. I'm not familiar enough. I'm new enough in this. I don't know how I don't know how to inculcate that well in my child. Um, I, I just want to say this uh, as simply as I can. Don't freak out about the enormity of it. I will tell you this, that if you'll do something as simple as make, making sure that your child has a Bible that's, at the, that's written at the most um, developmentally appropriate uh, level, right? Find, find a Bible that's right for your kid's age and development and just spend time reading it with them. Just spend time reading it with them. And if they ask a question that you know the answer to, answer it. As is more likely when they ask a question that you don't know the answer to, tell them, I don't know, but I'm gonna go find out. Believe me, the answers are not the issue. The answers to those questions that they ask, they're important, but they're not the most important. What's most important is the lifetime habit of cultivating the sense of value of what it means to be in the Bible together, just reading what's there and getting the most out of it that we can. If you do that, you win. You're forming a foundation in the sacred writings of Scripture that will not fail. If, if you're a leader, if, uh, if you're a mentor in the room today, I just wanna make sure that based on this idea of a firm foundation, I wanna make sure I say this. If you're a mentor, make sure that some of your mentoring takes the two of you together back into scripture to ask questions regularly about what does the Bible say about this? What, what does this chapter say? Let's talk about that, right? Because there are people who can mentor you, can be a great mentor in business or in leadership or in the community, they can be a financial, they can help you in so many ways, even in ministry to say, here's a great way to grow a ministry and invest in people and, and run something that's really powerful. And those are all great things, there's nothing wrong with them. But if that's you and you're doing that and you're never taking you, the person who's following you back to the Bible and saying, let's investigate this together, you're hopping over the most important piece. It's the foundation of the sacred writings, the holy scriptures, which God gives us. If you're, if you're a follower, if you've identified someone who's gonna help you grow in the faith and they're meeting with you, it, you, if they have not said to you, let's check out what the Bible has to say, let's study a chapter a week together, let's do whatever, take the initiative and say, I want to grow in my understanding of the Bible, will you help me? Because as a follower of Jesus, nothing is more essential than your foundational exposure to what's in the Bible. Again, you don't need a, uh, you don't need a uh, doctrinal treatise. You don't need a PhD in theology, as great as those are. What you need is a Bible in front of you and, and a willingness to read in and ask some questions. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. They're available out at the uh, info center. The connections team would love to hook you up there. And that's really important. Make that the centerpiece of, of your following of Jesus. That's where the growth happens. So here's the deal. This whole discipleship thing, the path from, be, from being a convert to growing into the faith to being uh, equipped by a mentor and then 
being someone who then makes other disciples, who helps other people to grow so that they can help other people to grow. That's our calling. That's the model we see in Paul and Timothy. It's the model we see in Jesus and his disciples. And, and I think it's a model we see around here quite a bit. I'd love to see it even, even more. Some of you are followers in need of mentors. Some of you are mentors in need of somebody to come alongside. I'm gonna pray right now as we close that God sparks something, maybe even a revival of people connecting with one another and being able to say, hey, I see something in your belief. I see something in your conduct. I see something in your faith and I see something in your purpose that inspires me. I want to follow that. Will you help me become that kind of person? And then the real growth starts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I'm grateful for the, for the words of Scripture here. The, uh, this passage goes on to talk about the fact that all Scripture is inspired and, and God, God breathed that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for training, for equipping works of righteousness so that we could be adequate, equipped for every good work. God, that's, that's, the, that's the work of your holy word in us. And so God, I wanna pray that you would bring together those, in need, those who need to begin leading and those who are desperate to be actively following God, I want to pray that you would bring the words of Scripture alive and cause us to grow in our love for you, in our care for one another, and ultimately in the way that we reach out to this community in Jesus' name. Amen.